0: Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast?
1: Oh, gosh, no.
0: Hostile work environment. Exactly.
1: Hey, an appropriate workplace topic.
0: Hostile work
1: environment. Shut up. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile work environment.
0: <sighs> Welcome to the Hostile Work Environment podcast we've been two weeks since our last episode we're back uh we're excited to be back we've got some great stuff to talk about today my name is mark Alifans. i'm here with kate bischoff how's it going everybody
1: uh it's going okay it's going okay i did the uh quarantine badge of i gave myself a trim of my bangs so i unlocked that badge how are you
0: I'm great. Clearly, I have not given myself the badge of caring or shaving in any way. Uh, for those of you watching on video, um, but hey, I, it works. I'm I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. It it's like COVID chic. I'm gonna call it. <laughs>
1: okay. Whatever makes you Kate's happy.
0: like like Kate's like, like uh uh-uh, uh no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. to share with the team
0: i do i i yeah. hinted at this and i've announced on linkedin that i am officially formally uh in solo practice now alifans hr law and consulting is a real thing you can find it at alifanslaw.com i have i mean it's bare bones still but it's there uh, i have hey. a logo which i think is the most important thing for anything <laughs> right yeah um so I'm like good to go, and and for those of you in like the Northwest and Oregon, you know I'm I'm here for advice and counseling, uh, legal advice, HR anywhere, kind of like Kate. And uh, mm-hmm. you know once we can actually like be in the same place with people, you know uh, trainings and investigations and and all that sort of fun stuff. So uh, okay. I'm here, I'm ready, uh, I'm excited. I've got some work rolling in already, which has been very uh, exciting. Yay. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm realistic about what the next six months look like and in, in a COVID world, but, uh, you know, I'm just excited to be back in the game and, and going again and actually having something I can do to help people, to help, yeah. help businesses.
1: Feels important, so. especially at this point in time. I, I know that my clients are both anxious and nervous and seeking help, but trying to do it in such a way that they're being mindful of how much the bill might be. And I'm more, much more, just ask me, I'd feel much better if you just ask me. Right. So, right.
0: That's what we're you right know, at. and same thing, same thing for me, you know, like for the one-offs, those are easy and they're not real, you know, not really things that we're going to charge for, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's the bigger projects that we charge for, of course, but right. uh, you know, the basic advice here, you know uh, the one-off questions, you know, it, it doesn't even make sense to write it down, you know? No, so.
1: no, like I, I got a question from a client. I have 17 employees, does this new law apply to me? The answer is yes, here is the webinar I did on it. And I'm not gonna charge right. you for that because you have 17 employees and a big financial burden now,
0: so. You got bigger problems than me adding yeah. to that problem. So, exactly. totally agree. Um, so I thought I'd start us off here today. Thank you for that call out, by the way. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I, I thought I'd start us off with a very important COVID-related question today. This comes from listener Aaron. Dear hostile work environment, my three-year-old wants to help around the home office, but he refuses to wear pants. Do I have to pay him minimum wage or can I write him up for dress code violation? Um. And it comes attached with the picture of the three-year-old in his underpants trying to help set up uh an office studio so clearly Mm. working hard Mm -hmm. but maybe not with the right dress code
1: uh well i think both of those however uh in a family situation you can withhold the minimum wage for college or technical school payments so i would hold Mm. on to that for the next 15 years um, and then put those minimum wage that the toddler has earned towards those things i think that works appropriately or just basic food right right just feeding them i um
0: i would also just highlight a third issue another issue which is you know aaron's in colorado neither of us are colorado lawyers oh but true wh- so <laughs> what are, what are what are the child labor laws like in in colorado <laughs> i mean you just want to you might want to pull that up on google yeah
1: exactly uh,
0: make sure make sure the three-year-old employment is okay
1: yes yeah. and and my sympathies do go out to aaron as i have a 12-year-old who refuses to put pants on, um, and so <laughs> I understand your conundrum, I feel for you, uh, but I'm running out of arguments as to why he must wear pants.
0: So It's, it's fair. I'm just glad that that's taken some <laughs> attention away from me, your podcast, podcast too. you seem to have drawn the conclusion that I'm not wearing pants, but I, I have been wearing pants.
1: Good. I'm glad. That makes me feel bad. <laughs> I liked it. We had the whole team halfwit, and we made almost all of them show their pants. So Right.
0: It, mm-hmm. uh, it's a real question these days. And, and speaking <laughs> of that, mm. do, do you know what today is? We're recording this on the 16th. So it's Thursday, the 16th day after tax day. Do you know there's a special holiday today that our friend John Hyman highlighted on Twitter this morning?
1: Well, I do know, but I'll give you the glory of the name. <laughs>
0: It's, it's national horny day today.
1: <laughs> oh, <No>, thank you.
0: <laughs> that's, that's a new one for me. Apparently national horny day means that you are allowed to, I don't know, uh, you know, request sexual pictures or send sexual pictures or, uh, you know, to anybody you want without having any repercussions. That's, that's what the description seemed to say on Twitter this morning.
1: The answer to that is no, don't do that.
0: The, the official legal, legal nature of this podcast answer is no. The unofficial <laughs> non-legal answer is please do that with your coworkers. So we have more <laughs> to talk about in two weeks.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah, no. And so I was thinking about this cause I'm, I'm going to give a webinar in a couple of weeks about, um, Doing workplace investigations, and so in a time of COVID where we're all working at home, it's going to be easier from a technology perspective to harass with visuals and things, and it's going to be easier for me as an investigator to presumably find that information if you're recording those conversations. Um, but this doesn't mean that harassment goes away simply because we're all in our own homes. But
0: ugh, just that, don't that's engage. like one of those like. That's like one of those no duh, but yet
1: we're
0: still, we're still having to say it because National Horny Day was trending this morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mama has a mortgage. Yes.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Should we talk about a case today?
1: Yes, please. What do you got?
0: All right. All right. I am continuing our, our series on the cases that made us who we are today, important, important cases. So, so today we're going to start with a case or it is the case. We're going to talk about a situation with the company Goodyear.
1: the Tire people,
0: you know, tire people. Yes. And Goodyear had a plant called the Gadsden plant and I'm trying to figure out what state it's in and of course I'm not seeing it right at the moment um it's got to be in that
1: belt of Michigan it's
0: out of the 11th circuit so it's the oh it's Alabama as well
1: Alabama okay I have good friends
0: in Alabama uh, as do I. I I you know and you know space camp Huntsville um that was the first time I ever went to Alabama I went to space camp as a present when I was a
1: very cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's actually maybe the last time I was in Alabama. Too. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Um, so Gadsden, the Gadsden plant, uh, for Goodyear was divided into several discrete units called business centers, each of which was responsible for one of the several stages of the tire production process. Uh, the plant included at least four business centers, each managed by a business center manager. Uh, okay each business center manager was charged with recommending salary increases for the salaried employees under their supervision including the area managers these recommendations were based primarily on each uh, employee's performance in relation to that of other salaried employees in the business center during the previous year performance rankings were calculated based on individual performance appraisals that had been completed for and reviewed with each employee at the end of the performance year or early in the year following. So far, like,
1: pretty normal. Yeah, super traditional kind of performance pay issues.
0: Right. So the the business center manager, also called a BCM, would complete a merit increase plan, a worksheet detailing the merit increase processes uh, that were being recommended for that year. Uh, And these plans included for each salaried employee their performance ranking, present salary, uh, the salary range, date of the last increase, recommended increase for the coming year, uh, and the date that the increase would be effective. All totally standard stuff. Okay, so right. I just wanted to set that as a background that the process here is totally normal.
1: Yep, totally normal. Okay. Not necessarily where performance reviews and incentive pay is going, but traditionally normal.
0: For, for the time, and this is this is through the eighties. I mean, we're we're back okay. in, in the eighties right now. So you know, I, magic I, everything shoulder
1: pads and nylons with pennies. Yep,
0: and, and big hair. Um, <laughs> so Lily was hired into the Gadsden plant as a supervisor in nineteen seventy nine, and Aww. she was uh she was forty years old at that point in time. So uh, I was one. Right. And I was, I was maybe one and a half. So, you know, uh, twice in 86. And again, in 1989, she was included in general layoffs. Uh, one was lasting, uh, as much as 15 months, but each time she came back again, kind of rehired. Okay. In early 1992, Lily was selected to be part of the startup team for the new RLT section of the tire assembly business center. That's a mouthful. uh which would produce large radial tires for sport utility vehicles and light trucks from the summer of 92 until the beginning of 1996 uh lily was supervised by mike tucker who was at uh, first sorry it's a hard sentence to read out of the case who started off as a team leader for the section and then became the bcm for the entire uh tire assembly area with the sole exception of 1994 uh, Tucker consistently ranked Lily at the at at or near the bottom of her coworkers in terms of performance.
1: Okay, so can I ask a quick detail question? Uh, sure. What percentage of her coworkers happen to be male?
0: We're gonna get into that. Okay. Uh, at this point, I don't have that specific information for that year. It appears to me that the majority, if not all of them, are male. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm extrapolating that. I believe that <laughs> it is a large percentage that is male. Okay. okay. Uh, in 1993, uh, he ranked her third out of the four area managers and fifth out of six salaried employees based on her 92 performance. He still suggested and rece- he, she received an over 5% increase that year, which was the largest percentage increase given to any uh, area manager, though it was the smallest in absolute dollars. So, okay. What does that tell you about her salary relative to the others? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's already Less, lower,
1: lower. Yeah.
0: Uh, there, there is Jimmy Todd, uh, who was ranked last and received no merit increase at all for that year. For 94, okay. Tucker ranked Lily last among the four RLT area managers and last among the six salaried employees. Again, he proposed that she receive a 5% merit increase, which sounds like a lot to me as mm-hmm. a percentage basis, but uh, that was the smallest proposed increase that he made.
1: Okay.
0: In 95, he uh, awarded her a substantial increase of just shy of 8%, effective December 1st, 95, based on her performance in 94. The record doesn't reflect her exact performance ranking, but she uh, the raise she received included a 4% increase, styled as an individual performance award and a just shy of four percent increase styled as a top performance award so it looks like she picked things up in 1994.
1: you mean she picked things up meaning that they saw her performance as significant improvements they gave her all. well i'm
0: i'm extrapolating again because we don't have the ranking information but this year she's awarded a top performance award as part of her salary increase so that says to me that maybe she's not considered the bottom area manager at this point or or maybe it was just a kick-ass year and they're all doing (laughs) great i don't know um uh let's see lily was ineligible for a merit increase in 96 because her 1995 raise became effective december 1st and the minimum time interval between raises was then 13 months meaning she wouldn't be eligible for another merit increase until 1997. Uh, that sounds a little fishy to me, but okay. Uh, yeah, but she, in,
1: in big organizations, they have those it, weird rules.
0: Right. So. Uh, yes. So I'm sure it's following rules. Yeah. It doesn't feel right, but it's fine. Um, she was nevertheless ranked against the 23 other salaried employees entire assembly, which had now been unified under a single business center manager, uh, uh, still Tucker. Tucker ranked Lily 23rd out of 24 uh, and uh, the, for the salary employed and 15 out of 16 area managers poor, uh, Jimmy Todd still ranking at the bottom at 24th Uh, and both he and the person ranked 22nd. So on either side of Lily were both denied raises. Lily not being eligible for one, didn't get one either. Okay. In March 96, Lily was transferred to the ARF room, uh, <laughs> cool horrible. name, uh, a section of the tire assembly that made smaller radial tires for passenger vehicles. Jerry Jones, uh, replaced Tucker as the BCM in the summer of 96 and told Lily that she had been transferred because of her substandard performance in RLT at so the welcoming. end of the na- right? I mean, they're just, they're just empowering or they're all about building you up. Uh At the end of 96, uh, as Jones was completing the performance appraisals for that year, uh, Pete Buchanan, the HR manager, instructed him not to evaluate Lilly or Jimmy Todd because based on their 1995 performance ratings, again, we're at the end of 96, but this is based on 95, you you know, both were slated to be included in the plant's upcoming layoffs. The layoffs happened, but Lily continued working throughout as a substitute for other area managers uh, who were or would be out on extended medical leave. So now she's basically covering for others. She became a sub. Uh, uh, Yeah, it seems like a perma-sub almost, Mm -hmm. because she doesn't go anywhere after that. Uh, So thus, at the end of 97, she was earning $3,727 a month, which is less than all 15 of the other... Area managers in the tire assembly. The lowest paid male area manager was making $4,286, roughly 15% more than Lily. The highest paid was making $5,236, roughly 40% more than Lily. Okay. Wow. Okay. So throughout 97, Lillian Jones uh, had several conversations where he expressed concerns about her performance. At one meeting in August of 97, he strongly recommended that she apply for a non-supervisory technology engineer position that was open in another area. He reminded her that she was still slated for layoff, and he implied that she would be laid off unless she transferred to an area not affected by uh, the reduction in force.
1: Oh, he's trying to be helpful. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, super Mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he thought... He thought the technology engineer would be good, uh, or that technology—sorry, the technology engineer position would be good for her. She interviewed uh, the same day and was accepted, although continued working uh, in as an area manager in ARF. ARF, so rock on the ARF, uh, for the rest of that year. Uh, on January fifth, ninety-eight, she began working as a technology engineer at the same salary she was earning in
1: nineteen
0: ninety-seven. Okay. Those. Though she was no longer working in the tire assembly, Kelly Owen, uh, who replaced Jones as the BCM in tire assembly, reviewed her performance and that of the other salaried employees in the unit for 97. Owen ranked uh, Lily 23rd out of 24 salaried employees and 15 out of 16 area managers. He ranked one male manager, Dean Nance, uh, below her. So good for Jimmy Todd, he's no longer on the bottom. Although maybe he's not there anymore, uh, I don't right. know. Right. Uh, Nance, Lily, and the two other lowest-ranking area managers were all denied raises because Lily was denied a raise for ninety-eight, and she had been for ninety-seven and ninety-six. She remained at the same salary she had been paid since her December nineteen ninety-five raise. So she's now going on three years without a raise, is what it seems to be.
1: Ugh. Okay.
0: On March 25th, 98, Lily files a questionnaire with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission.
1: Okay, so can I ask a quick question? At what yep. point did she learn that she's making so much less than everyone?
0: I don't see that in the facts here. So okay. I don't know if it's because she's been talking to others, others? Uh, about their pay. Or if it was following this in a, in a lawsuit that inevitably follows, because why else would we be talking about this? Right, right, that it right. comes out in discovery. So, okay. but but at a minimum, I think she had enough confidence or specific information to know that she's making less than the others. But that doesn't right. uh, that doesn't come through to me in the facts, which is a pretty detailed factual
1: yeah, survey yeah.
0: here. Uh, I don't see where it says that.
1: Okay, because um, there's a lot of people who go to the eoc without specific information and fill out the questionnaire and so i be- it's possible that she didn't know but given that she hadn't received a raise for a bunch of years and she knew she probably other people were getting raises she probably knew that other people were getting raises just the fact that she wasn't getting one might have been enough for her to think that i might be being paid differently
0: right i, I totally agree right a- yeah it's a flag at a minimum for sure so All right, so she files her EEOC questionnaire in March of 98. She alleges she was forced into the technology engineer position and that she was being subjected to disparate treatment in her new department on account of her sex. In July of 98, she files a formal charge of discrimination with the EEOC. This time she alleges, in addition to her earlier complaints, that she had received a discriminatorily low salary as an area manager because of her sex.
1: That sounds like the investigator figured that
0: out Yes in August, Goodyear announced that it was going to downsize the Gadsden plant and that those who were likely uh, uh, to be laid off would have the option of choosing early retirement Lily applied and was accepted and retired effective November 1st
1: 1998
0: Okay okay so that's that's the end of, of Lily's employment with Goodyear of it's not the they end were gonna- of leak. Early-
1: Right. Of course, right. they were going to accept her early right. retirement. She has a so charge like, by the Please, in front please. Yes, please retire. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. So uh, Lily files her lawsuit on November 24th, 1999. And it goes to a jury trial, uh, which is described as a wide ranging jury trial. This must have been a, a little bit of a circus kind of trial, mm-hmm. is what it sounds like. Uh, it included evidence spanning the entirety of her 19 year career, and four claims were submitted to the jury a claim that Lily had been the victim of a gender disparate pay as an area manager mm-hmm. in violation of title seven and three claims brought under title seven and the ADEA, the age discrimination and employment act relating to her transfer to the final finish area as a technology engineer. These claims were that the transfer had been involuntarily forced upon her because of her sex or her age or in retaliation mm-hmm. for having made complaints of sex discrimination.
1: Okay. Okay. No equal pay claim. Uh, no. Oh, fascinating. Okay.
0: So fascinating. after the district court denied Goodyear's motion for summary judgment or judgment as a matter of law, small distinction, but I'll make it anyway. <laughs> the jury found for Goodyear on the transfer-related claims. Okay. Okay. So all of that—that's out. But they found for Lily on the Title VII pay claim. Finding that it was more likely than not that defendant paid plaintiff an unequal salary because of her sex, the jury recommended two hundred twenty-three thousand seven hundred seventy-six dollars in back pay, uh, about five thousand for mental anguish, and awarded three point three million dollars in punitive damages.
1: Well, that's because well, the punitive damages are in part because everybody rides on Goodyear, right?
0: <laughs> right now. Uh, I don't have the number in front of me. I did read and researching this that uh, the judge did reduce that. Of course they did, yeah. Uh, and I think it was reduced down to about 350000 in punitives. Yeah, close so, to the cap, yeah. Close to the cap. All right. So, Goodyear Appeals. Yep. And they contend that Lily's pay discrimination claim was time-barred okay so by time barred we're saying it didn't it wasn't filed within the relevant statute of limitations for the claim
1: so let me guess i am a little rusty on this particular case it's because the
0: mm-hmm. decision
1: of her pay was made years before her charge was filed
0: right so what what they're needing to show is that so in order, you know, before filing the questionnaire, which is what preserves your time, right? There's 180 mm-hmm. days to yeah. file that questionnaire with the EEOC. Had anything happened within that time frame that was an act that was discriminatory during that 180 days? Okay. No,
1: there was no change to her pay
0: in that period. Right. Goodyear argued that um, no discriminatory act relating to Lily's pay occurred after uh to September 26, 97, which is 180 days before the filing of her EEOC questionnaire, right? Which we know is, is at least regarding her pay, her pay had been the same since 1995.
1: Right. So there had been no so, decision, so no uh, adverse employment action because of no There'd
0: decision. been no, no act that happened that changed a term or condition of her employment or something that would give rise to a claim within the 180-day period, okay? So based on that don't 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 right yeah uh isn't, isn't this like it's the, the tension and the suspense right <laughs> it's boiling uh, up It's uh, <laughs> uh, the court uh for the 11th circuit reversed the district court and jury jury holding that a title seven pay discrimination claim cannot be based on any pay decision that occurred prior to the last pay decision that affected the employee's pay during the eeoc charging period of 180 days they then concluded that there was insufficient evidence to prove that Goodyear had acted with discriminatory intent in making the only two pay decisions that occurred within that time span, namely a decision made in 97 to deny her a raise and a similar decision made in 1998. Lily filed a petition with the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. uh, and she sought review of the following question. Whether and under what circumstances a plaintiff may bring an action under Title VII, alleging illegal pay discrimination when the disparate pay is received during the statutory limitations period, but the result of intentionally discriminatory pay decisions that occurred outside the limitations period. Mm -hmm. So effectively her theory is that these decisions were discriminatory while the decisions themselves were made outside of the 180 days, the effects of those continue to happen every time I receive a paycheck.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: The Supreme Court looks at this. It was a 5-4 decision. Of course. Okay. It's, it's an Alito decision. The, that should tip you off as to which way it goes, not in <laughs> Lily's favor. Right. Uh, so Alito, uh, for the court at the time, it was pretty typical split. So it's Alito, Roberts, Scalia, Thomas, and Kennedy. Uh, Alito writing the decision. Uh, and then dissenting are Ginsburg, who wrote the dissent, Stevens, Souter, and Breyer. And the Supreme Court held that because the later effects of past affirmed discrimination do not restart the clock for filing an EEOC charge, Lily's claim is untimely.
1: Oh, so this is Lily Ledbetter, right? Uh, Yes. Okay. And I watched interviews with her Mm -hmm. as this was happening because uh, she's a fascinating woman. And so this is her. The decision comes out must be 2008.
0: No, so this is a two thousand uh, cert was granted in 06. I don't have the argument date, but it was decided okay. in May of two thousand seven.
1: Okay, so two thousand seven, because we're about we're about to get into the Obama years, right?
0: Right, and and I, you know, I we we can probably should at this point say the punchline here, which is that Lily gets the last laugh here, right? Yes,
1: she does. Well, I okay, mean, it doesn't put, help her personally. No, yeah, not personally, but she does get the the glory or uh recognition because she gets the statute named after her
0: right so on january 29th of 2009 in the very first law signed into law by president obama it's the lily led better fair pay act which specifically says that each one of those separate paychecks continuing that reduced pay because of the discriminatory act is a separate act that reignites the statute of limitations
1: okay so now, if let's imagine Lily, the act existed when she got hired in '79. Can you imagine the damages she would have if we went all oh. the way back to '79?
0: Yeah, it compounds on itself several times.
1: Oh my God, it would be significant. I mean, her grandbabies, grandbabies would be going to college on that money. So, oh
0: yeah,
1: that and she is. a If you listen to her, her interviews are amazing. She is incredibly inspiring as an individual. So, but too bad she had to go through something like this. But we got an interesting act that has wide ranging applications to employers everywhere. Because if each paycheck starts the clock again, that means every decision you're making towards pay should be looked at through a: Are we making a disparity by making this pay decision.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, the recognition of, in a sense, the unfairness of how that decision feels is, is brought out by how quickly this law was enacted. Right. So we've got 2000, mid 2007, the case comes down and the, and the law is signed in January of 2009. Uh, And even with that, there's plenty of criticism of, uh, you know the bush administration in 2008 and the republicans in congress for not pushing forward with this even in the 2008 congress right uh, so, it took yeah, it took until 2009 when the democrats had a president and the congress, congress to be able to make it happen
1: yeah well and i always look at i always think of lily ledbetter and i know this is now obviously incorrect i think of it as an equal pay act claim because it because there were people within her same rank, there's 23 of them at the time, it, as an equal pay act claim, it might make more sense to make those analogies. But as a Title VII claim, it's even more interesting because you don't necessarily need that same, same requirement that you would need under equal pay act, right?
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: there's a fascinating case that comes out of the Second Circuit in December of 2019. So what feels like eons ago, but only a few months ago.
0: Yeah, like ages. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right? Where there we had a director of risk management who doesn't have anyone similarly situated to her. But she brings a pay, uh, Title Seven pay disparity claim because she looks at the other directors that she is on the same line in the org chart at. And she sees that they're being paid so much more or over the market rate. That and but she's paid a look below the market rate. So if she is making 30% to market and they're making 70% to market, does that create that pay disparity there? And while the Equal Pay Act would say no, because you don't have somebody who's similarly situated, you could point to Title seven the Second Circuit says takes a different approach to that because we're just looking for disparities and we're showing the disparity in the different of the market rate. So that adds a new complexity from a compensation perspective, because if we're just looking at each position and what is the market rate for that position, how what do we need to pay to to get somebody in that role? Well, you can't just do it on the individual lens each time. Now you have to have a philosophy of compensation across your organization and keep that
0: Right. right. And in that case, it, it gets kicked back to look at the specific analysis of that, not saying that that her claim wins, just right. that it, do, it doesn't lose as a matter of law. So it, it, it's exactly. able to be looked at in that way, which sounds right to me. You know, now then it then it starts opening up other questions of at that level. Uh, what what are the disparities, right? So, is she the only woman there mm-hmm. relative to a whole bunch of other men, or is it is it based on race? I mean, there's all sorts of different things that could be looked at if it's if we're looking at Title VII. So,
1: right, I mean, uh, you might you might even get into like how many people applied for this role, and in this role, we get ten applicants, but in this role, we only get one, and so we have to pay higher to get more applicants, right? So, like, there's a whole bunch of analysis that you could go through in that particular case, but it makes for interesting mind games around compensation
0: right and and i wish i had an easier message for for employers listening to this when it comes to that because you can do everything with the right intent and still have it come out the wrong way on this and so the best advice i can give on something like that is you know you've got to look at each break down each set of pay with an equity lens Mm -hmm. and how it could be perceived and then if you have really good justifications for why it is that way document them
1: yeah, make write sure that it's down. <laughs> noted
0: make sure it's noted that this is this is how you arrived at that pay it doesn't necessarily save your ass in the end but but it goes a long way and it could really help you uh, avoid the claim in the first place or get it get it resolved faster without having to go all the way to trial and right. to deal with the courts
1: and, and take maybe a, a global perspective as to what your compensation philosophy is going to be are we going to pay 70 percent to market for nearly everything and then adjust when there's exceptions and are we going to then say we're gonna move away from the things that could get us in trouble even though we might still be able to do them like asking salary history questions. Um, well, I was just the, gonna say that yeah. <laughs> right? like get away from that piece of it so that we're running with our philosophy as opposed to problems that we create on an individual basis.
0: Yeah I, I was just gonna say that that the state here in Oregon, you know, we can't ask salary history questions anymore. And I think that really helps you it forces employers to look at it more from an equity standpoint and not knowing how much somebody was paid before, you know, they might be thrilled with a $10,000 raise, but if that's still $15,000 under market, that's still a problem. And, and that person should be paid what, what the market drives, not, not just what they're willing to accept in that sense. Right. And, and, and you can argue whether that's right or wrong, Mm -hmm. but you know, the law is not going to look at it that way right now. The law is going to look at it as are you paying people equitably and fairly across the board, regardless of, you know, Mm -hmm. gender, race, you know, national origin and all the other, all the other fun protected classes that we talk about.
1: Right. The, uh, the other piece of advice from a a compensation perspective I do is say the job pays what the job pays. It's not based upon how well the person can negotiate. So just stick there. I mean, there's other things we can negotiate on like, when you work from home or how many PTO days you sure. might have, but salary should be
0: you can And you can add some subtlety to that. Like the job pays what the job pays, but you can still take into account years of experience. You can still take yeah. into account levels of education, though the further you get into your career, the less I think that that's a relevant inquiry, right? right? There's other things around ex- specific experience somebody's had that might dictate a higher or lower amount. But in the end, that should be, an evaluation that's done blind without looking at the physical characteristics for example (laughs) of what that person who that person is uh, you you know so uh
1: sounds like you like the the place where i did my most hr which is the graded system with the various different (laughs) like the ladder system or in in the federal government right
0: and that makes it a little easier, at least in terms of yeah. drawing these distinctions. The risk of doing what I just said is that you apply kind of different standards and it becomes subjective and then that can create some real disparities.
1: Right, and it, and the more subjective it is, the easier it is to scrutinize.
0: So. That's right. Yeah, awesome. Well, this was good. This, this took us out of our normal, you know, ass-grabbing, butt-slapping, <laughs> discrimination. Hey. Still cases, but horny. wage and hour cases, wage and hour cases can be interesting, uh, even on National Horny Day.
1: <laughs> yes, they can be. They can be. Just don't ask me to do much of the math. Okay.
0: No. No. Fair.
1: <laughs> so.
0: Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, I thought we'd wrap it up with a with a quick uh, listener submission.
1: Yes, let's do that.
0: Okay. Uh, This comes from an anonymous listener, as they so often do. And I should say, please submit your stories. Yes. It does feel like pulling teeth a little bit. Maybe people just don't like to use email anymore. I don't know. Uh, It's hwepodcast at gmail.com. We do have a little bit of a supply of stories, but, you know, they run through pretty fast. And we're always looking for more. And we're still waiting to get a few more questions and topics of discussion so that we can actually just do a full episode that's just answering your questions and reading your comments. And we've gotten a few really good ones recently, uh, but I want more before we can really devote a whole episode to it. So anyway, to this particular email that we received, uh, I'm so so excited for your podcast to be returning. Thanks for making a comeback. I have a, yes, uh, we're excited to be back too. Uh, I have a quick short story that just happened yesterday. We hired a new sales employee, male, to work here, and he's having trouble with the technology. He's Uh. been here about three weeks, and he keeps asking the same questions four to five times and isn't retaining any information. He doesn't refer to his notes or to training resources. So far, sounds great. His manager and I sat uh, down with him yesterday to discuss his performance and our concerns. It was a corrective action meeting with hopes he would improve. Mm -hmm. Sounds right to me. Mm -hmm. At the end of the meeting, he thanked the manager for his time. Then he said to his manager, She's cute, though. It's not as bad being reprimanded by someone cute. Am I right?
1: Oh, what a douche canoe! Ah, gross. Okay.
0: I can see, like, am I right? Mm." Uh, uh, Then he said, I'm probably not allowed to say that, am I?
1: Nope. The answer there is
0: Some no. Self-realization a little too late. <laughs> uh, I said no, and please don't say it again to me or to any of our employees. Mind you, this is the same employee who said to me on his first day of new hire and orientation, "You just had a baby? Sure doesn't look like you just had a baby." Of course, our our emailer had just returned from maternity leave right before.
1: So, uh,
0: uh I, th- sounds like a winner.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a real winner. Uh, I, I can see where the horizon is going to be for him. It's going to be very soon. Um, and I, I hate to, you know, this plays into that stereotype of the douchey sales guy, but oh, is, that is filling that role right there.
0: Pretty gross.
1: <laughs> oh, no thanks. Well, good luck to you, listener.
0: Yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, you know, feel free if you ever want to, to give us an update, yes. Uh, let us know please. how that's going. Uh, uh, we appreciate you sending us that story. Uh, again, if you want to send us stories, it's hwepodcastgmail.com. Uh, Kate, mm-hmm. how can people reach you?
1: Uh, you can reach me over the twitters at k-a-d-i-s-c-h-a-l-a or LinkedIn or my website at thrivelawconsulting.com how about you where can we find you with your new fancy website
0: you can find me at alifanslaw.com that's a-l-i-f as in frank a-n as in nancy and z as in zebra (laughs) alifanslaw.com uh and you know other contact information's on there i at least have that much on my very bare bones website at this point uh you can find me on twitter at saladpants (laughs) <laughs> and you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, pretty much the places where you can find people. You should also check out and join our Facebook group, uh uh HWE Podcast on Facebook. We've got a really good, solid number of listeners. Feel free to ask us questions or communicate up with us through through there as well. Uh, we're throwing up our episodes. Obviously, you're listening to us, so you know how to find us somewhere. Uh, but we're on pretty much anywhere podcasts are. We're also throwing up all of our episodes onto YouTube. And the video is also going up on uh on our Facebook page. Awesome. So, so if
1: you want to see how gray my hair is getting while we're quarantined,
0: <laughs> you can check
1: that out. That's
0: right. And the bangs look great.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of my friends, Mary Faulkner, responded when I said, you know, I got the bank She's like, and a stylist dies. Right? <laughs> Soul of a stylus yes. dies as I hit yes. that. yep.
0: Uh well, I think it looks great.
1: <laughs> Thank so. you. Well, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon.
0: Yep, we'll be back soon. If not before two weeks, maybe we'll even have something in between. I don't know what. I don't know what the future will bring. Ooh, uh, no. All right. Fun
1: time. Yep. Bye.
0: Thanks, everyone. Bye.